Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 184 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday evening, September the 15th, about two weeks, yes, two weeks until the end of the regular season, and uh, joining me to, uh, I guess, commemorate this occasion and look ahead to the future and look back to the past and all that fun stuff that we normally do on the podcast, Eric Cole is here. What's up, man? What's going on, buddy? I'm glad to be back on, and you know we could talk about some really kind of fun, sort of looking to the future stuff without feeling like it's too much of a jinx. Yeah, I mean we're we're almost there. You know, I, I've gotten some uh, some pretty funny, lighthearted um, response to me on the last couple of podcasts, like kind of refusing to declare it over, and I I still will it's not over, declare it over. Nope, I won't do it. I, I refuse, it's, it's Eric. I'm an Atlanta sports fan. I will not do it until it is over. Um, but to to what you said, I will lean into it a little bit and say it does feel like the door is closing. I will not say it's over until it is over, and that's part of my bit at this point in time. But the Braves did not clinch the playoff spot, so that's over. Um, that was a cool sort of under-the-radar thing that happened on Saturday. In fact, people were a little bit confused, including myself, um, at first as to how they clinched the playoff spot because the games didn't add up. And you had to kind of dig deeper to realize that the Cubs and the Cardinals play so often down the stretch that those teams both can't finish ahead of the Braves. So with that said, that was a foregone conclusion for a while now. That's not what's not really a, a landmark occasion necessarily because of the fact that it's been such a foregone conclusion for so for so long. But still, this team is in the playoffs for sure and very likely to win the division. And at the top of this podcast, it's going to have some somber moments, moments when it comes to Charlie Culberson, etc. I wanted to uh, take a moment and celebrate that a little bit because this is now a, a playoff team for sure. Yeah, and it's been a, a team that's been really fun to watch, and they've kind of. I, I know, like over the last week, they've like they've had a few more losses than we're accustomed to, but it's more like they're kind of back to you know like they're winning more than they're losing, and they're just you know having to lose a few more games. Whereas for a while there, like you know they were winning like nine out of ten games, eight you know two out of ten game you know two out of ten games were losses, and it was just like they have these long lengthy stretches where it kind of feels almost a little bit worse than actually it is. When in reality, it's just kind of a, you know just kind of a little bit of a regression to what you would expect whereas you know you're playing against some good teams you and i both talked about these series that they were going to be playing and we were just kind of thinking hey if they can get out of all these games they were playing against the phillies and nationals with a split then that'd be you know that's just perfect you know because that's just less opportunities for those organizations to kind of make up some ground and then said the braves made a bunch of ground on the nationals specifically so overall i mean really just 
a good week and, you know, clinching the playoff spots. Great. Uh, I will say that the, the vision race is over. You, when you put up, you know, an extra you can say what you want to Eric. I, yeah, I refuse. I, I, I'm okay with you saying it by the way. And I, I endorse that behavior. Um, uh, you may, you, you may not have the same amount of trauma in your past that I do with fandom, but, uh, it's okay to say it. I think I, I just won't do it. But I, I, I am, I am much less hesitant to declare a game over because, you know, within a game, a lot of things can happen, but the sheer number of things that would have to happen over the course of two weeks of games for the Braves to not win the division. Yeah, I mean, your magic number is four on September the 15th, and that means that even if the Braves, you know, somehow didn't win a a, a single game the rest of the way, the Nationals would still have to play um, very, very impressive baseball um, in order to catch the Braves. So to that end, I understand uh, the math is overwhelming. Basically, any system you look at now with 99, 99.9% that the Braves are going to win the division, and um, I understand that. it's. I'm kind of being funny. I'm uh, knocking on wood, though, because I've seen some things in my life, but you're right on this, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, and again, it's just, you know, there, there's definitely going to be little hiccups here and there, but I'm also, we're, we're starting to see in games decisions that are made that just kind of are owning the fact that, you know what, sometimes some of these games just aren't as important. You know, you, you, you're just gonna, you're going to give some bullpen guys some more rest. You're going to get some starters out a little earlier because there's not, you know, you're going to get, you're going to take some guys out of games so you can rest them, if, you know, line up regulars, things like that. I'd like to say maybe even a little bit more of that. And yeah, I was going to say, I think I'm uh, at the point where I'm kind of tired of seeing, you know, five of the Braves players in the top 10 of games played across the, across Major League Baseball. I think it's time for that to end. Like now, not 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 that, not that you have to risk all these guys all the time, but just you know playing, especially the old guys. Your your Freeman, like Freeman being in the lineup the day after he got hurt, which was kind of a laugher for me. Uh, Donaldson being a top ten games play guy in the in the entire league is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But alas, I mean it's it's a little thing. But to your point, it's gonna. I think I think it's gonna start happening. You know. This team is definitely not one that's going to just rest guys a ton down the stretch, but I, you know, we'll all be pretty surprised if Freeman's playing every day the rest of the way. I, I would hope that doesn't happen, for instance. And you know, Ronald and Ozzy are young, but even those guys could use a day off every once in a while. So there's no reason to have everybody play every game for the next two weeks. I know you're sort of in a race still for the best record in the National League um, if you want to get into that. But you know, for me, it's once everything's sewn up and it's very close to being sewn up at this point. You want to keep keep guys fresh while also avoiding rust, which is a delicate balance. But you know, still right now the Braves are what are they three and a half back of the Dodgers. That doesn't seem like a huge margin, but with only this many games to play, that's kind of a big gap too. So that that's a reasonable goal. But at the same time, you you want to be responsible and uh, make sure guys are healthy and uh, raring to go. Because you know, not that the Culberson injury was anything, anything but a fluke, but you know, injury. It's just kind of a reminder sometimes that injury stuff can happen. But you know, that's that's more of a fluke one, obviously. But, you know, the wear and tear stuff can happen, too, for guys that are playing every single day for six months, and you want to avoid that if you can. Yeah, and I think that the way that it was handled last year might be very similar to what happens this year. Is like, you know, you let – because guys like Markakis and Freddie kind of really pride themselves on playing every day. But there were also times towards the end of the year last year after the division was locked up that they would, like, play – you know, get their first at bat, and then they'd get pulled. You know what I mean? So it's kind of one of those things I mean, where I, I can, that's I kind of absurd of to me still. Like, I think that's insane, which I understand. I mean, insane's too strong. I think that's kind of silly to allow – guys to basically dictate what they're going to do. I understand it's probably going to happen, though, particularly with Freddie. Freddie just likes to play every single day, and he can kind of call his own shot, which is, I guess, okay. Uh, Marquecas, actually, this year, because he, he missed so much time, 
you almost want him playing more to make sure he's good to go. Not that he has to play every day, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but he he's kind of the one, you know, normally the established vet that you would I would be arguing to not play as much. You know, the last two weeks of the season, it could be beneficial for him to play more, make sure he's in a groove. But obviously, with the way he came back, maybe he doesn't necessarily need that. Um, but you know, Donaldson is kind of the, the one for me. It's like Donaldson has injuries in his past. He's probably played too much this season, and we we kind of know why because you know during that whole stretch when the Braves were scorching hot, it was the top four guys that were basically just carrying them for a month straight, and that, that's okay. But now. Particularly with him, I, I would like to have some kid gloves with Donaldson. Freddie's pretty durable. I know he had the weird little hiccup this this week, but he seems to be okay. Donaldson would be the one that I would be like, all right, let's get him. Let's get him off the field some in the next two weeks. Well, it makes sense to do so anyway because you're two utility guys, and I know we're about to talk about Culberson and yes, obviously Cam- and, and Camargo found that ball off his leg. It's you're, you're going to have to start trying out some guys to back up these guys regardless. And, you know, you have Austin Riley around now. And while the the results have been a little bit mixed since he's come back, he's looked a little better recently. You know, he, like he had the pinch hit today, had the pinch hit double the other night. You know, he, he's been doing some things that have been looking better. It would be nice if he, like, got a look at third, give Donaldson a day off, gets a look at first, gives Freddie a day off, or at least gets, to, you know, gets some amount of innings there. You know, and obviously he can still play the outfield because right now you have – Adini Echeverria is your kind of guy who can pl- probably play a few positions. And then he's, even then, it's not necessarily ideal to kind of move him around all over the infield. And being able to say, hey, you know, we have this guy who can play first, third in the outfield, you know, does it does it replace what Culberson and Camargo bring to the table? Probably not. And I say probably because, you know, we saw what Austin Riley did when he first came up. He's a guy that can definitely – he definitely has power and he definitely has can, can be a, a, a big positive at the plate. Hasn't, it just hasn't been for a while – and it would be nice if they could kind of give him some looks, give him some time, because if you have if if Camargo cannot go on for the the division series, and obviously Culberson's out for for the, for the division series, you know, having a guy like Austin Riley who has some positional versatility, which is not a phrase I thought I would say regarding him, <laughs> it's uh, it's you know, it's that that giving him some time to figure that out has benefits beyond just giving Donaldson and Freddie days off, but those are also benefits because I mean. I mean, Freddie has a, a lingering bone spur issue, and while you know it, it is he, it's something he can play through, and he was hitting the ball, he's he, he's still hitting the ball hard, and you know he looked pretty good today, and you know you don't necessarily think that there's anything catastrophically wrong with him. I don't think anything where there's an inflammation issue is made worse by you know giving him a day a day here and there, or at least some you know most of a game off here and there, which you can do with if you can give some Austin Riley some playing time, and same thing for you know Donaldson, those issues with his calves, you know it's. That you just never know when it's going to crop back up again, if it's going to crop back up again. But what I do know is that when you guys, when you have guys with tired legs, and you need to kind of figure out what you can do for the postseason roster, it seems like those types of moves make more than enough sense to me. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, quickly, I know we, we we both referenced Freddie. Are, are you worried at all about the bone spurs? I kind of, I kind of, I kind of glance past it because I'm not necessarily. But you know, it's it's a thing that you have to at least worry about. Freddie's had the wrist stuff, but aside from the wrist stuff, he's been exceptionally durable in his career and likes, as we just talked about, likes to play every single day. But do do you worry at all about that bone spur issue? I mean, it forced him out of the game. I'm not sure. You know, how much of that was just him realizing that it's uh, it's September and they probably don't need him to keep playing through pain if there is any. He he seems he seemed to be he seemed to be fine today, but that's one thing. Well, you know, it's very obvious to say this, but Freddie Freeman is, is extremely important. So, do we worry even a little bit about Freddie's bone spurs, or is it just a passing thing that you have to consider, but not not really worry about? 
I was more worried when it was kind of just dropped kind of out of nowhere that he has yeah. this bone spur issue. And I'm like, by the, by the way, Freddie Freeman yeah. Is like, yeah, yeah, has okay. a bone spur in his elbow. And that's not something that you generally hear about and go, oh, well, it's, you know, that'll just be gone tomorrow. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a contusion. It's not a strain or something like that. That's, you know, a piece of the bone that's, you know, very sharp. And, you know, is that going to be a lingering thing? But the explanation after the game, I think, was really good. And I, I am someone who does have bone spurs. I have them in my neck and my shoulders. So it's kind of one of those things that I understand that, you know, you'll have good days and bad days. Mine generally are more symptomatic, I guess, just because of where they are and what they rub against. But when Freddie was like, "Look, I've had these for a couple. I've had this for a couple years. Every once in a while, it'll, you know, it'll just get stretched out. You know, I'll swing wrong, or you know, I'll just, you know, in this case, he just jammed his arm on the ground, bracing himself on a grounder, and you know, it'll bark a little bit. In this particular case, it was just a little bit much, so he just wanted to make sure everything was okay, and that's the responsible thing to do. Which I'm glad that he did, as opposed to just kind of, you know, hoping that his arm, you know, yeah, didn't, it's actually you know, kind of off-brand for him. Like Freddie is the guy who usually just doesn't say anything and wants to stay on the stay on the field. So I was actually to what you were saying, like I was pleasantly surprised that he just said, "All right, I'm good." Uh, take yeah, me well, yeah, I mean, it, well, <laughs> it makes you worry a little bit just how much that hurt. Yeah, but, you know, he was back. He was back in the lineup, and Bone Spurs. All, everyone's correct. A lot of times they can be just they're just a thing that you have, and every once in a while they they get inflamed. But most of the time, it's just kind of you know, something that you have to deal with. And, you know, most of the time they don't even try bothering correcting them just because, you know, in the case of an athlete, one of the reasons that they grow is is like it kind of helps to, you know, make the joints, you know, be supported the way that they need to be uh, for their bodies to work a certain way. And so I don't think it's something that we're not going to see unless something awful happens. You know, we're not going to see like Freddie have like an elbow procedure to remove bone spurs or anything like that, I wouldn't imagine. And, you know, I, I think he'll be fine, you know, but it's something to kind of monitor and keep an eye on because, it has been it has acted up recently and we're the Braves are about to be in a playoff push right now. So you yeah, know, is it worth monitoring? I mean, yes. But it seems more likely with Culberson out and Freddie having, you know, an it, some sort of issue, regardless of how what the severity is, it seems like it makes a ton of sense to, you know, start giving Austin Riley some time there. So just in case something happens, he can play over there. Yeah, and let's talk about Culberson now. Obviously this is a big bummer. You know, we you know, famously I've not been the biggest proponent of Culberson's bat um, going back to before the last couple of seasons, and he's been way better than I thought he was going to be in Atlanta. But you know, throwing that stuff out the window, it just sucks to see a guy get injured like that. Um, fortunately, it seems as if Culberson uh, avoided you know the, cat- the the catastrophic damage that you fear when you're kind of hit in the way that he was in the face. Uh, multiple facial fractures is what Snicker was uh, telling the folks today. On Sunday, um, and then that was before the game started. And then after the game, he sort of announced that Culberson's going to be out for the year, um, which is not unexpected given the way that that looked. But still, um, that's less important. You know, real life standpoint, you just are happy that Charlie avoided some serious damage. Looks like all all signs are positive for 2020 and beyond. They even talked about them him being ready for spring training, which is a, a very baseball thing to think about right now. But uh, Culberson, you know, it's unfortunate. And honestly, as uh, much as he had been struggling for a little while here um, at the, at the plate, he does have some utility as someone who could just play everywhere and the Braves were clearly going to have him on the roster so there's the baseball part of it too but just more than anything uh, I'm glad he's okay it, it was kind of just brutal and right after the fact it was uh, there were some worry moments for Culberson I was not watching live saw the video shortly thereafter and was kind of like mouth agape um, worried about how that was going to go and hopefully um, and it seems like again seems like pretty pretty positive news but he's uh, not going to play again this year yeah it's up there with the, the Jason Hayward when he got hit in the jaw uh, for me, just watching a you know watching a Braves player get hit. I mean, in Jason's case, you know, he got hit, and like both the catcher and the umpire had to catch him. Then like so, because he, he was just out on his feet, and he was about to you know keel over. But in Charlie's case, he's bleeding, and you know, and you know, it's not one of those things too where 
there was any intent or anything like that. It wasn't even anger when I saw it. It was just clearly a pitch that got away from Rodney. And, you know, the, the aftermath definitely made me a little bit upset, but more just the watching what happened and understanding that a ball being thrown 90 plus miles an hour hitting you in the face is is a scary, scary thing to have happen. Because, I mean, like, you know, if that's, that ball's a, a, an inch, you know, in a different direction, you know, like all yep. of a sudden the guy's life can entire change entirely, you know, it can end a career. And it was, it was awful to watch having to have him carted off. And, you know, you know, it's a credit to Charlie that, you know, for up to go to an opposing pitcher who just hit you in the face and to kind of, you know, gesture to him to, Hey, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're good. It's okay. You know, it's, it, it was just an awful thing to watch. Um, and then we got to see Snicker, you know, again, say what you want to about the guy in terms of, you know, decisions that are made in games, but he was understandably livid at the, that they called that a strike as opposed to just being a hit by pitch. Uh, and it fired up the team afterwards. You know, he's out there, you know, I, I thought him and Welke were going to come to blows for a second there. I thought he was going to, I thought he was going to get around the home plate umpire and go after him. Uh, and again, it was it was just awful just to have to see this guy have to go to battle again after watching one of his players who adore him. All these players adore him and he adores them. Watching this guy get dropped to the ground by a pitch. And then as it turns out, the reason why that happened is because the Nationals manager asked for an appeal on the on that play to see if he actually offered or not. And one, he didn't offer. It just didn't happen. The ball, the, the, he did not put put the bat down. He was just in the stance of bunt, and then all of a sudden he was having to get up, get out of the way. And now, then that happened, and, you know, Snicker was understandably upset. You know, it was just, it was kind of a mess, and it's, even though the Braves won that game, and it was really nice to kind of see them rally around and do what they did, it was truly kind of a really sober night for me. You know, in a day where they clinched the division, you know, all we really cared about was whether or not Charlie was okay. Yeah, I mean, the timing of it, everything was unfortunate about it. To your point about Snicker, you know, it's one of those things that we say every once in a while, you know, we're known for being uh, skeptical slash critical of Brian Snicker as a baseball manager tactically, but it's one of those reminders where everybody loves Snicker, and we talk about that all the time. I am not the guy who dismisses the off-field stuff with Snicker entirely. I think sometimes it gets overrated, but at the same time, you know, He's a fantastic guy that everybody seems to love. This is one of the one of the reasons why is you see him come out of the dugout, get, get his money's worth, and kind of lose his mind because he he likes these guys, he loves these guys, and even after the game, you know, Snicker was emotional visibly with the media, and you know that's not it's a, it's a very human thing, but not everybody not everybody would be that way, and I think Snicker you know just cares about these, I agree with that yeah he cares about these guys it's that's one of those things where. He should he should be credited and is credited with the fact that he's a, a player's manager and everybody loves him and everybody wants to run through a wall for Ryan Snicker. That's a little thing through the prism of Culberson and the injury and all that. But uh, I agree, like him him getting the guys back is something you can certainly uh, get behind. And Snicker, you know, as we always say, is someone who is beloved for a reason, and uh, that is part of that package. Just the, the fact that he cares about his guys in that way. Um, quickly, <laughs> you, you referenced Davey Martinez. People were very upset with Davey Martinez. Uh, he walked it back a little bit today. I guess he talked to Snicker reportedly and um, basically was trying to walk back a little bit. Um, because I wasn't watching in the moment, I didn't have the same visceral reaction that a lot of people did, but a lot of people, I would say most of people that I follow that are Braves people were pretty incensed with Davey Martinez after this. And um, I gathered the information, but I, I just know full well as someone who's not watching, you can't really have that same reaction. So it seems like, seems like you were pretty upset with Davey Martinez in the moment? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like something where, like, Davey Martinez jogged out while 
Culberson was laying in a pool of blood or something, you know, and like, hey, that was, you know, I think he offered that and I want to appeal to first or anything like that. But first of all, that 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 was his train of thought, like immediately afterwards when first of all, it was a hit by pitch. Right. Like like no one would have called down and say, hey, you need to check that. Uh, And instead it was it, it felt very inhuman to me. And, you know, I'm not one of those unwritten rules guys, but if like one of you guys just hits a guy in the face, you probably might not want to say, hey, you might want to check and see if they hit the bat first. You might want to see if that was a strike or not. You might want to see if he offered that or not. You know what I mean? Like there's there are replays that I'm sure could have been that could have been called. Like, for example, if it's like a foul tip into the face or something like that. And like I'm sure the umpires would have been made aware of that, you know, some other way. But for the man for the Nationals to like go, oh, by the way, a few minutes after this happened, can you please go to the first base code, go to the first base umpire and see if he remembers whether or not Charlie offered that pitch? Because I don't think there's any way he could have. I just don't think there's it's it is in, it is not possible for me to have that happen. And look, Bill Wilkie had a had a, a series. Uh, I mean, like he was the home plate umpire today, and yeah, there, you know, there was there and, was and some umpi- there was some umpiring going on in this series. In this yeah, series. I, like I, I, I bring on the ro- robot overlords. I'm done. I don't even. I, I'm I am over umpires not being good at their job. And this isn't just this isn't just that we can see the strike zone on the TV. I could not have that little square on the TV, and I'd be like, what are we even doing? What are we even doing with how these umpires are? You know, the, it's <laughs> it's like it's it's like they're like okay, well, the, on the calls that we. It's it's it feels a lot like that they're trying to put their specific imprint on a game and they know they can't do that on a lot of calls because that so many of them are reviewable. The one thing we can't review right now are balls and strikes and like a few other calls like, you know, for example, appeals to first and it feels awful. It feels like that there is. It feels like umpires are trying to put their stamp on the game and trying to like have their own little brand that they're working on, and not actually just do the job of calls, balls, and strikes, and and hold and and actually uphold what is happening in a game, and it's frustrating. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, that's that's well said. I'll I'll pretty much leave it there. I just thought it was at least worth bringing up. Um, I guess to his minor credit, David Martinez said, and I'm quoting here: "The last thing I wanted to do was be a jackass." End quote, which was kind of funny. Got got a laugh out of me at least. Um, and by the way, he got hospitalized today in the middle of the game, which I, I missed in real time. Uh, that was weird. Um, and hopefully he's okay. But yeah, it's uh, people were not very happy with him. Uh, a lot of that's just rivalry stuff. But didn't wasn't the best look for David Martinez and the Nationals on the heels of that. And I think he referenced the fact that it was like a tie game. Or it was it's like you know what the guy the guy the guy the guy guy hit in the face let's all relax um anyway uh i'm with you on this one even though i didn't have the same visceral reaction um okay let's let's take a break real quick eric and then we'll come back talk about marcakis and camargo and roster stuff and all that fun stuff so uh, hold on tight we'll be right back support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Eric, we're back. Um, we've we talked about Culberson. You know, it sort of feeds into and Riley earlier as well. It sort of feeds into the fact that um, the roster is going to be interesting. And now we're, we're probably going to spend you know, half the show uh, on the last day, day of the regular season about the playoff roster. So I don't want to go like you know player for player on this thing. But you know, Marquez being back is a good thing. I said that a number of times. I, people were pointing, you know, of course because he had a good couple of days. People were um, decided to come at me on Twitter, which was funny because. The one thing that I always say repeatedly about Marquecas is that he hits right-handed pitching, which is what he did this weekend. Um, so that's good. Uh, he definitely helps the team. All, the, all that to say, I don't want to go too deep, too deep into Marquecas, but he's back. He's a helpful piece. Uh, Camargo, though, is now gone. So you're, you're minus Culberson um, for the season for sure. Camargo is on the IL with a shin fracture. Uh, apparently, it's a pretty good fracture, like hairline version, almost like a bruise. And uh, he, it was a chance he's ready in like three weeks from when it, when it happened. At the same time, I think it's fairly unlikely that he's at least on the NLDS roster. And given the way that he struggled this season at the plate, honestly, this is just me. I'm going to assume he's not coming back. Um, not, not that he couldn't come back if there was another reason, but with the current roster the Braves have, because they do have Hetcheveria, who is a major league player, you know, if they have if they have one more injury, then you're definitely on on, on Camargo watch because they're going to probably need him because they don't really have anybody behind Hetcheveria. But as long as Dansby, Ozzy, and Hetcheveria are upright, I'm going to kind of guess that Car- Camargo does not come back. I could be wrong about that. That that's a guess. But the NLDS seems to be um, pretty unlikely at this point in time. So you know, Marquega seems like he's just fine. He's back and played well over the weekend. So that that's a helpful thing. But how do you? look at this roster right now on the on, on the depth side because I think, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I think Hechevaria and Riley are almost locks. I think Hechevaria is an absolute lock and Riley, because he can play corner infield and Duvall can't, um, is an important little distinction. I do think that they if they wanted to play Hechevaria at third base and they want to go with like Marquecas at first, um, he's played there before. If they just really didn't want to carry Riley, they probably could get away with it. But I think he's going to be there based on uh, just the way what, what based on what you were saying earlier by the fact he can play you know four positions. Yeah, and I think it's that decision will come down to how Echevarria and Riley are playing, because if Riley is producing in the what. Over the next couple weeks, then it kind of goes, okay, maybe we don't need to, you know, really kind of force the issue of bringing Camargo back. Because, you know, after a guy misses three weeks and, you know, has a microfracture in his shin, you don't really know what he's going to look like. And if you have a guy, if you have Echeverria and you have Riley who are doing something. He was just bad, too. That's the thing about Camargo. I know he showed some life after he came back. But, you know, I, I think it's very noteworthy that this is not Camargo of 2018 that you're bringing back. Maybe that guy is back at some point in the future, but this season, the fact that he was bad has to matter. And when you have a guy who's bad and misses the last three weeks of the season, plus the NLDS, I just can't imagine bringing that guy back unless there's some other injury or if somebody's just floundering. If, if Riley's 0 for 40, then okay. But Hechevaria is just not going to play very much unless you have another injury. So, And his, his defense, you just kind of need it at this point in time. And by the way, how lucky are the Braves right now that they got Hechevaria for absolutely nothing? Yeah. Uh, yep, uh, 100%. Because they have nobody else. I mean, look at look at the, look at the I mean, you, you know this better than anybody. Look at their other options. They have no other options. He, he's it. I, I kind of, because I hadn't heard, any, heard anybody talk about uh, Hechevaria in the wake of Culberson, and, you know, rightly, the reaction to Culberson's injury was not roster-related. It was like, oh, God, 
what about what about Charlie? And I totally get that. I just hadn't seen anybody talk about this, so I kind of I kind of floated on Twitter a couple hours ago. I was like, so we are assuming. Hatchery is on the roster, right? And everybody's like, "Well, yeah, he has to be." I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing something, but he's the only option. They don't have anybody on the 40 man. There's nobody that you can point to to play backup shortstop second base. I mean, if you, it's not even the situation where, like I've said before, if you got an injury today, you could play Ozzy at shortstop. You don't, you don't have a second baseman either. There's, there's nobody on this roster that can play either one of the middle infield spots other than Hatchery behind the starters. Yep, that's I mean that's pretty much the gist of it for me. And again, that that makes me I to get to your point is that if Echeverria, I mean Echeverria, I think has a much stronger case just to make the postseason roster regardless of what's going on with Camargo. He, he's he's a lock. Yeah, <laughs> be, really because, because again, as like a late inning defensive replacement and as his his ability to play short and things like that, he has value beyond. Now, the one thing I will say about with Camargo is that now with both Camargo. And Culberson on the roster, you, missing not having that switch hitter as a bench bat. Oh, it'd be helpful pitch, to have Camargo. Yeah, even, yeah. even as low as I've been on him this season and how bad he's been, he would be helpful with yeah. constructing this roster. There's no question about that. So I, I think it's if Austin has a good last couple weeks of the season, then I think that there's, it's easier to make the case that regardless of what's going on with Camargo, you just put Riley on the postseason roster. And then, you know, maybe Camargo comes back for the, the league championship series or something like that. But in terms of if Riley is not playing well, I could see us. I could see a scenario where that, you know, maybe if Camargo, even if he's not feeling 100 percent, you still bring him back because at the very least, you know, having that utility guy and having a guy who particularly against lefties has some power and things like that. There, there's reasons to do it. I'm not as sold on that. You know, Camargo is not going to come back for the NLDS because I just I, that, I think that was just honestly that was that was off the reporting more than like the NLDS thing is basically the reporting that was out there. All the beat guys yeah. were saying it was unlikely. Now beyond that, if you win that series, that that's another week or so. And if you factor that in with the recovery timeline that we've seen, that would bring Camargo back into the picture more. But I was really with the NLDS only. I'm I'm going off of the reporting that says it's unlikely that he comes back. And you know, beyond that, it's like it becomes hard to just say, okay, Johan, you've missed the last three and a half weeks. Now you're going to be on, on the NL, NLCS roster cold. That that's more of a like that's just me reading between the lines. But the reporting that I saw repeatedly was the NLDS is unlikely, and and, and I'll go off that for now unless we just see something else about it. Yeah, if we get an update from like you know like Camargo's progressing from, you know more quickly than expected, which is basically happen. how how Certainly. which is how this happened with injuries with the Braves, right? Like all of a sudden Dansby is you know all of a sudden gotten much, made a turn for the better, or you know Marquez is progressing for faster. Then we I feel like if that reporting starts to happen, then you can actually you know start thinking maybe he'll be back before the end of the season, and then you can kind of make some decisions about you know you can start making some assumptions about the NL, NLDS roster. But I think a lot of the, there's going to be a few spots. Uh, bullpen wise, as well as bench spots, that like it's gonna be like the last week of the season before we really get a good sense as to what's going on. Yeah, there and, th- and there should be. That's that's part of the yeah. fun of and what we'll, that's honestly what we will be talking about at the end of the uh, month is just the fact that you have to figure out 
what's going on with, especially with the bullpen. Um, you know, they brought up Tukey, they brought up Wilson, they brought up Wright this week. None of those were surprising, but just all those arms. You know, AJ Minter is now gone um, for the duration on a 60-day DL. He was so bad that that was gonna always not the IL thing, but just the fact that he he had been so bad that he was not gonna be around the playoffs. Um, but a really ugly season for Minter, which we should at least mention a 7.06 ERA. That is really rough, and it felt that bad. It wasn't as if it felt like it was this one big fluke for Minter. He just looked bad. Um, Grant Dayton is back, to your point. So there's all these interesting names that we can discuss in the future more, unless you'll have some, something to say about it today. But yeah, it's the bullpen and stuff is kind of the one spot where we don't kind of have a pretty good idea. You know, Again, barring injury, because this week the Braves lost two guys that you would have projected. You know, Culberson projected to be on the roster. I think Camargo probably was going to be on the roster as well. Um and losing both those guys in the same week, though not your top tier guys, which is a good thing. Um, losing two guys in the span of you know what three days, four days was uh, not not great. Yeah, I mean, I would be nice if the Braves could like get guys healthy and then not immediately lose a couple more guys, which it seems like <laughs> yeah. it was it's what happened the last couple months. You know what I mean? Like when you like you lose Dansby, Marcakis, and Ender, and you're just like, whoa, what just happened? All of a sudden, you have three lineup regulars that are on. Yeah, the, and, and the Ender thing is still out there. I mean, Ender. You get some trickling reports, but it's really tough to kind of pin down his timeline. And Enciarte is on a different level than someone like Camargo, where Enciarte, if he is healthy, he's going to be on the roster. But we just don't know if he's going to be available or not, because there's just not that much reporting on it right now. And that's that's nobody's fault. It's just he's got a weird injury and a tricky timeline projection, and he was always going to be behind Marcakis, but... You, you know, ideally you'd like to see Andrew Enciarte play baseball before the NLDS if he's going to be on the roster. And that's another wrinkle in here that we haven't even really talked about on this podcast because I don't really have anything to say about it. It's like, wait and see. We don't really, we don't really, we don't, we honestly just don't know. Yeah. I mean, and made trickier by the fact that there's nowhere for him to rehab. You know, they don't do rehab since in the Arizona Fall League, which yeah. starts this week, by the way. Uh, and uh, more importantly, it's, you know, it, it wasn't just like, the bone is healed in Marquez's case. Once the bone's healed, you know, if it, everything's working right, then he can he can go out there. You know, when you have like issues with your hamstrings and things like that, it's you know you have setbacks. Soft have tissue stuff and, is always yeah. tricky, man. It is. Yep. Yep. If you hear the word strained oblique or anything like that, that can range from a week to three months. That's just what happens, and it's not. And there's no, you know. They'll just test it, and they'll just keep testing it. When he has a few good days in a row, they might be able to say, okay, maybe he's come around us. But it's not one of those things that, you know, all that, you know, hamstrings, obliques, stuff like that, you just don't really know. And unfortunately for the Braves, because, again, you know, with, with Ender Enciarte is healthy, uh, I'm not sure if he's a good hitter, but I know he's a good fielder, and he, I know he does bring value. So. He hits righties, at least. I think we he's at least like a league average or better hitter against righties. So that's – yeah. That's, that's, that's something you can bank on, I think. But yeah, I'm with you. He's definitely hot and cold with a bat. But at the very least, he is, um, you know, he's Billy Hamilton is Billy Hamilton. He's interesting as sort of in himself. But Ender, you know, you're comfortable with Ender playing defense. Um, Hamilton, you could say the same thing, but Hamilton's even, uh, Hamilton's like a five times worse hitter than NCRT. So you don't want to have to play Billy Hamilton more than just as a pure ninth inning defense, defense guy and pinch runner. That, that should be his only role in life. Whereas Ender, you could start Ender in center field against, against a right-handed pitcher and it wouldn't be weird. Um, against the lefty, I would not do that considering you have Ronald Acuna on the roster. But I guess to righty, you know, you could certainly sell me on that. Um, the, kind of, the problem is you have three guys in your outfield that are far better against right-handed pitching, and none of them are Ronald Acuna. And Acuna's going to play, obviously. So you have to pick two of the three between Joyce Marcakis and Enciarte, but that's another podcast for another day. 
Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's pretty much uh, cool. Anyway, um, okay, so that, that's probably good on just like the roster roundup. Oh, one thing that we have to talk about briefly is that we don't really know how this is going to go yet because the Braves faced all righties over the weekend, and honestly, they don't face another left-handed pitcher and at least projected until Saturday. So until we see them face a lefty, we kind of don't know. But when Marquecas came back, the reporting was that he's going to play left field against right-handed pitching with Joyce in right field. And uh, I'm quoting here from one of the reports, Snicker is going to leave it up to him, quote, to Marquecas on whether he stays in left field or not. Uh, So I'm taking that to mean that Marquecas is going to play every day, even against lefties. Um, My thoughts on this are well-documented, but... Did you see? Did you take the same thing I did? I, this was not explicitly said anywhere that I could find. It was like no one explicitly said Marquez is going to play every day, but leaving it up to him on whether he stays there against left-handed pitching would, for me, tell you that Marquez is going to play every day. And uh, you know, I stated my opinion on that. What, what have you seen um, or read or what, what are you interpreting? Like how do you how are you seeing it in that situation? Because that's pretty interesting to me. Okay, so I have thoughts. First. I am. I know this sounds bizarre, but I honestly think that the only Marquez had had a bad month in the middle of, in the middle of the summer where it looked like he was like at the end of the first half he was it felt like he was kind of getting gassed and he wasn't looking as good and you know you you worry about that with his in his case because all these people including beat reporters who commented on whether Marquez was coming back said you know like everyone likes him but his second half he completely cratered last year and it was look he's an older guy and he already has a, a limited margin for error in terms of being from a decent bat which is what I think is a, a fair baseline is that he's de- a decent bat to a bad one because if he's gassed and all of a sudden he's not hitting the ball as hard and then you know all of a sudden it's a lot of grounding in the double plays and all this other stuff you know those people have like seemingly forgotten that that happened and the one thing that that the one thing that I took away as a positive from Marcakis being hurt, um, with the caveat that you never with with a re, uh, arm, wrist, or hand injury for a batter, is there is not a consistent at best track record of those guys coming back immediately and they're not being like some sort of drop off because again you like when you break hand bones things like that you know people talk about you lose power and that you just don't you, it takes a while to get your strength back get your mobility back. You know, taking all that into account, I honestly feel like that was the only way that Mark Akers was going to get enough rest to be a guy that could, you know, consistently hit the ball hard like he did. He, he did early in the season. He he was hitting the ball hard. No, I mean, he, honestly, yeah. even when he wasn't hitting left, even when he wasn't like, even when he cratered, he wasn't bad against righties. It didn't go no. super well, but that that's the thing that people are sort of overlooking in this. I know we're not. We talked about it a number of times, but Mark Akers, I... I a, I agree with you. It's it could be a sneaky benefit that he missed so much time because he's going to be fresher than he would have been as a guy who's a little you know a little bit older in his mid thirties and all that fun stuff. But it's just for me the this is not a one year thing, and that that's not a nuanced take by me or you. It's very simple to see what he doesn't do well on a baseball field. I know there's a lot of disagreement with his defense, and I'm going to leave that alone for now. Um, we said plenty on his defense in the past, but one thing that I, it's not really up for debate is that he's not a good hitter against left-handed pitching. There, there's not a number you can find that would tell you that he hits lefties well. Like, can he hit lefties? Is he a disaster? No, he's not. He's not terrible. He's not unusable ever. He's not Billy Hamilton. Like, he's not that. But he's not a league average hitter against left-handed pitching. He's he's well below he's well below that for his entire career. This is not 
my opinion. That is that is fact. It's it's statistical. It's not so. That's kind of where I'm coming from with this whole thing. In addition to the rest, because I, I agree with you, we, we got some uh, attention, I guess, is a way to put it, for saying, on a, I think last week or maybe the week before, that he was going to be, if he wasn't 100%, he wasn't going to bring you much. You know, I'm not going to declare him 100% healthy based on this weekend, but he looked good this weekend, so I'm not going to say that he's not 100% either. And But the one thing is that he was hitting righties, and that's what we kind of know he can do. He's a good hitter, he's a good hitter against right-handed pitching. He just He's kind of always been, even when he was not great early in his Braves tenure, even, even all the negative attention that's been on him, the one thing that he has been able to do, both in Atlanta and Baltimore before that, is hit righties. He can hit righties. There's no argument about that. He absolutely should start against right-handed pitching. He's a good player against righties. But and, <laughs> that does not mean he has to play every day because there are better options. Like I know people, I know people hate Adam Duvall. If you have one at bat against left, a left-handed pitcher between Adam Duvall and Nick Marcakis, unless you just need a contact of any sort, if it's just an, a, one at bat in a vacuum, Duvall is the better hitter. Look at the numbers. I know people hate numbers, but... Marquez doesn't hit left-handed pitching well. This is not like I don't know. It makes me so crazy because he does hit righties well. He does, and he has the off-field stuff and all that. I, I made a couple of joke t- tweets about the off-field stuff this week as well. And we we know what he do- we know. I trust me. I heard from people both on Twitter and off Twitter, even people in people that that we know in the media. Trust me, guys. I understand his impact in the clubhouse. No one has to remind me. I totally get it. The fawning is overboard, but I, I get it. The one thing that he doesn't do well that we can agree on, I think slash hope, I don't, and I know we can't agree on this because people won't, people people won't allow it, is that he doesn't hit left-handed pitching. He just doesn't do it. I'm sorry. And by the way, first at bat against Madison, Madison Bumgarner on uh, on Saturday is going to be a home run. I, I know this. I'm calling it now. <laughs> but that will not erase the decade plus of information that we already have. End so, I, I think that the the level of just Again, I'm with you on this. Is that I I like what I saw out of him. I I think he's healthy. It he looked, wasn't, he looked it, good this he, weekend. They weren't see, these weren't see, seeing eye singles. He was no. hitting this weekend. He, he was hitting good. the ball hard. He was among like among the harder contact that we saw out of the Braves this season. Uh, out of not this season, but this this past weekend, right? So I, it feels like that you know like he's making hard contact. He's well rested. That is great. Play him against every writer ready the rest of the way, and, and you know and don't pull him against lefty relievers. You know we're not. No one is saying that. No. The only argument that was being made on social media earlier this week was that, hey, maybe there's good reasons to not start him against left-handed pitching. One, because it gives him a little bit of time off, which doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world for one of your older lineup regulars. Two, doing so does not remove him from the clubhouse where whose presence it seems to be sacrosanct. You know, it's not like if he doesn't start against le- start against left-handed pitching that he's t- put into a cannon and fired into the sun. <laughs> exactly. What is, what, what, what is said is that, hey, there might be reasons to not do it. And I don't know if they, you know, like, there are some people with, with significant followings that I'm not going to mention that, like, are a member of M- Nick Markekis's PR department. And I'm sure that Markekis wants to be in there every day, but there are real baseball reasons for a team that is either going to be playing for home field advantage, and if we're going to care about the one seed, and you're going to care about each game, then you might want to consider the fact that you might have better matchups that, you're go- that you want to play. If you're not going to do that, and you're going to give lifetime achievement awards for a guy to go against left-handing pitching when you have better options on your playoff-bound roster, then yes, I have some problems with that. Now, is it going to be the end-all, be-all as to whether or not the Braves make the playoffs or end up as the one seed? Probably not. It's just not going to happen because there's just not enough left-handed pitchers the rest of the way. We're talking about a small sample size of games, but there are reasons not to do it. And to to completely dismiss them the way some people were was dishonest at best. 
Yeah, it, it's really silly. And just, just for some context here, um, I'm going to use one stat to tell the story and then I'll go deeper because people, people seem to hate WRC plus um, because it's a, you know, quote advanced stat, but it's just the easiest way to compare him to the rest of the, of humanity. Um, since he arrived with the Braves, 2015 season against left-handed pitching, 75 WRC plus. That is bad. 2016, 66 WRC plus. 2017, 89 WRC plus, which is not a disaster. It's just fine. Last year was the one outlier in his basically in his, in his whole career, 104, and a pretty and obviously he had the great early season run last year. This league season, average. Th- yeah, league average by the way, not not not, not anything great, but still, if, if it was 104 for his career, this is not the conversation conversation that we're having. By the way, if that if that's a real number and that was sustainable, we, we're having a different conversation right now. But this year it's 59. Um, f- for his career. Against left-handed pitching, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this up right now. Sorry, I'm as I'm doing uh, I'm doing math on the podcast, which I know people always love. Um, but it's a situation where it's it's bad. Sorry, I'm looking at these numbers and they're not cooperating. Uh, oh, I was gonna give more context just so people know that hate WRC plus. Um, he's never had a, an OBP, and this is his best stat. His his best OBP against left-handed pitching was 3.43. Um, that's his best stat by far in that range. This year it's 2.89. He slugs somewhere in the in the low to mid 300s as a general rule. So against left-handed pitching. So all that to say, this is not a uh, an opinion thing. Okay, I finally have it up here right now. Um, even in Baltimore. Even in Baltimore, where um, I saw some people lauding how, you know, kind of complaining about how he wasn't beloved in Atlanta, the way he is in Baltimore. And I wanted to say, because he was a lot better in Baltimore than he is in Atlanta. <laughs> he was an actual star has, for he, a few he, years he, yeah, he, in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I, I hate doing, like, the whole thing again, but it really... It really bothered me just to see some of. I think you put it. You put it. You put it the best way there. It's just you're either ignoring the information, or you're being disingenuous. It's one of the two, um, and you know it's maybe it's both for some people, and that's totally fine. But I agree. The best way to put this is, you know, you can act like there's not a baseball reason at all to take them off the field, and that's that's just not true. I'm sorry. It's it's just not. So we can leave it there for now. I'm interested to see. And by the way, if he plays against lefties in September, I don't really care about that. You're, you're, you you might want to see him play. So like, if he's in the lineup against Bumgarner on Saturday, I won't be bothered by that. I really won't. You want like, to know why, Brad? Why? Because the, because the division's locked up. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, if you want to, if you want to have him, him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> but you know, with the current roster as constructed, you'd have a hard time selling me on. Um, Marquegas as the third outfielder um, against a left-handed pitcher in the playoffs. I guess if you want to paint the picture of there's no other good options, I might listen to that. But that's another opinion for another day, and we'll talk about that. Because I guess if you took out Camargo and Culberson, maybe that was some of the ammo that you want to put out there. But uh, acting as if he can't help the team unless he's playing every single day and hitting fifth is a good way to make me insane. Um, So, yeah. There you go. Uh, that felt good, Eric. There you go. We're done on that for now. Yep, yep. It's out there now. <laughs> we'll come back and do more about that later, I'm sure. Because um, people are going to be yelling about this. I expect this to be on Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, anything else that you wanted to note from this week? Oh, I have to ask you about one specific player that I made on my notes that are, that's not on our notes. Uh, Max Freed? Any concern? He was not good on Tuesday, and he was really not good today. Um, it's two starts, but... 
you know, Freed's been hot and cold at times. It would not be good if he was cold now because they get they're going to need Max Freed at some point, whether in a starting role or, or in a long man relief role. But uh, do those two starts two, do those two starts bother you at all, or is it just a two start sample that you're not worried about? Uh, I'm not super worried. You know, he's still getting movement on his pitches and things like that. And you know, it's we can't really ignore the fact that he put he played. The Phillies, which have some righty bats that are just going to give me guys like Rio Muto and Hoskins and, you know, guys like that. And then you have, you know, Bryce Harper, guys like just good righty bats. That's just going to be a tough matchup for him at times. And then while he didn't look particularly good against the Nationals today, he's just one series removed from making them look silly for, you know, an extended period of time. So that, that's a team that had a, like a very recent look at him and, you know, probably had some more time to adjust to him than normal. So I'm not I'm not super worried about him. If I'm just being honest, uh, it's something that you monitor just because the playoff rotation is not necessarily set in stone in terms of how that was going, how that's going to be handled. Uh, I've maintained that I think that it should be matchup dependent as the, you know, whether there's a lot of lefty bats that you could concern you more than righty and, you know, things like that as to kind of who plays when and all that. The Braves have some options there and Freed should absolutely be one of them. Um, and I expect him to be on the playoff roster, but whether or not he's the guy that, you know, if he fades down the stretch, you know, he's already has a bunch of innings. Uh, it's a career high for him this year. I, I expect him to contribute somehow to the playoff roster, but if he fades down the stretch, then maybe he needs to be a guy that, you know, is maybe out of the bullpen for their first round or something like that, depending on the matchup. Uh, overall, though, I'm, I'm not super concerned about, especially long-term. It's just kind of, he's a guy that's going to give up the long ball sometimes, and he's, you know, he gave up some you know, over the last couple starts. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we agree on this. I, I'd be pretty surprised if he didn't make an impact of some sort in the playoffs. But we floated, I think Scott did or Zach did or you did or somebody did, um, the piggyback thing where, you know, maybe you go into a start with Julio or, or Fulte and have Max Freed ready to go in the third inning if you need him, that kind of thing, um, and just kind of plan on doing that. Or the other way around, or however you, however you want to do that. I think the only two guys that we absolutely know are starting um, playoff games for sure are Soroka and Keiko, barring injury. The other My three Canadian guys, son. Um, what? My Canadian son who looked really yeah. good. He did. Really he did um, sort of bounce back in a, in a strong way, which I, which I was definitely encouraged by. And he keeps drawing these matchups. He had, he had to face Soroka. Sorry, he had to face Scherzer twice in a week, and he's scheduled to face Nola on Thursday. Like he can't, he can't, he can't avoid the number ones. It's uh, yeah, it's, he he doesn't get the number five matchups too often, unfortunately. No, and by the way, uh, how about that 12-10 start on Thursday with Soroka and Nola, and no one's gonna be able to watch it because it's Thursday at twelve ten. Yikes! Welcome. Baseball scheduling is a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really care that much, um, in part because it's it's September and the the lead is what it is. But that's brutal for a fan, uh, even as you know, I do media work. But I still have a job during the day, and uh, I can probably monitor it. But I can't. I can't sit down and watch baseball at twelve ten on a Thursday. Um, some people can, but I'm not one of them. So I feel bad for everybody. But I will uh, miss something in that game. I'm sure. Uh okay. Well, that's the one thing I wanted to definitely touch on in terms of stuff we haven't already touched from this week. Keiko looks great still. Um, Fulty had some nice moments at times. There was some good, you know, good hitting overall. Donaldson continues to just rake, which is uh, encouraging. I don't know. That's kind of all I have other than Marquecas was good. Of course, we, we, we mentioned that. He had the four-hit um, game on Friday. I'm sorry, on Saturday. The magic number is four. That's all magic I got Magic number is four. Uh, Acuna is closing in on 40-40. Yeah, we're almost uh, there. I mean, I, 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 I'm kind of guilty of not caring about that as much as some people do. Um, but it's when that few people in baseball history have done something, it becomes a lot cooler. So maybe I should be more dialed in on that. Um, 
it's going to happen, I think. We've been talking about that for a while, and I think that's probably why I don't I haven't talked about it as much recently. But it seems like it's going to happen. And that's uh, it's pretty impressive, man. I mean, it's not like breaking ground to say that out loud. And Ronald, it's like we could do 10 minutes on the podcast every single week about Ronald Acuna. He's that good and that young and that ridiculous. But, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's 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 ridiculous. The steals are going to be the tricky thing, and just yeah. because I mean, getting the, they were always going to be a tricky thing. By the way, Steel, steals are weird. Yeah. No one steals bases anymore. <laughs> yeah, and getting that many over, you know, he has to get six more, and getting those when you have uh, three games against JT Real Muto, you got two off of him in one game. But I don't think Real Muto is going to let that happen again. Uh, it's a t- it's a, he's a tough guy to steal against. So you got some games against the Phillies, which makes that tricky. I, you have to kind of hope. Yeah, I'm sure he was kind of hoping to get on base some more and maybe have Kurt Suzuki uh, behind the plate. By the but, way, um, as before we before we, before we keep going, um, without looking, how many players in baseball have more steals than Ronald Acuna this year? I know I, I know the answer now. I looked it up, but I'm I'm pretty sure he leads the league, doesn't he? He leads the National League. Oh, okay. He does not lead Major League Baseball. In fact, a former Brave leads Major League Baseball. If I give you that, do you know the answer? Not offhand, but I'm gonna be mad. I think once I don't know the answer. Yes, you are. It's one of your uh, original sons, Malik Smith. Oh, Malik! Forty-four steals from Malik Smith um, out in Seattle, and then Albert, uh, Adalberto Mondesi has thirty-nine. Royal, but yeah. the fact that Ronald Acuna again that goes to my point a second ago that no one steals bases anymore because um, they don't. But Ronald Acuna is going to literally have to lead the league in steals like by a decent margin in order to get to in order to get to get to 40 steals. He has 36 right now. He needs four more. Um Trey Turner has 32. He's four behind and Trey Turner is really fast. By the way, Trey Turner I think will probably be leading the league if he hadn't got hurt cuz Trey Turner has a lot more per game than Acuña does. For instance, uh, Trey Turner only has 463 plate appearances and 32 steals, so uh, he's he has a higher pace than Ronnie, but the fact that Ronnie's going to have to lead the league in steals. By the way, he could, he could easily lead the National League in steals and not get to forty. Yeah, he could. It's almost yeah. more impressive if you say um, forty home runs and led the league in steals. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, that that actually sounds more impressive than forty forty does because forty is like oh forty because you know back in my day, Eric. I know we're old, but forty didn't used to be. Like ridiculous. That, that's a lot. It's it's always been a lot. But guys, guys used to steal eighty bases. Like that used to happen. Like fairly oh, recently oh, in history. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman were a thing, man. Like that's they, what I mean. Was... And like to lead the league at, like comfortably at thirty six in September is pretty wild. But it does go to show you that Ronald Acuna is a freak because he's going to hit forty home runs almost certainly. And the fact that he's going to do that and very likely lead the league in steals at twenty one. I mean, we we talk about him all the time, but. That's just kind of absurd. Yeah, and you know the thing that's a little bit more concerning for me with the Cooney. I mean, I think he'll, like he has to get one more home run. I think he's going to get to forty home runs. I don't think he's going to go. That seems weeks. likely with two weeks to go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the stolen bases are a little bit tricky, but you know, Ronnie's in a bit of a a bit of a funk right now. You know, he's still drawing walks, and you know, he's still getting impact hits. You know, obviously in that inning where you know Charlie got hurt and he comes in, and he hits the two run double. He's still hitting the ball hard too, but. We've also seen three straight months where he's, you know, striking out nearly a third of the time. Uh, and he's, you know, it's just the numbers haven't looked really good in September either. So it'd be nice to kind of see him kind of get on get on track, too, because right now he's on track for the worst WRC plus month uh, of his entire se- of the entire season, which is not really what you want to have for yeah. your, arguably your best player going into the playoffs. But he's also a guy where, you know, he'll go through these funks sometimes, and then he comes back with a vengeance. So I'm not super worried, but at the same time, it'd be nice if he was, you know, he could get something going. 
Yeah, coming into today, uh, the 20 games previously, uh, he has a slash line in those 20 games of 175, 256, 350, which is about 600 OPS. That, that's real bad for Ronald Acuna. Uh, again, it's, it's a 20-game sample. It's 90 plate appearances. I'm not worried. But it is worth noting that he has not been great. He's not been himself at the plate for you know almost a month now. So, yeah, not, not ideal timing-wise. So maybe you – and because he is so young, I think he's going to play more – than some of the vets are going to play in the in the next two weeks. Um, maybe he'll be have some time to iron that out. But maybe he's tired. That, that's, that could also be a thing because, famously, he and Ozzy are just playing all the time. <laughs> yeah, they 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 are playing all the time. And, and uh, Freddie, the Bra- but... Braves have a day off tomorrow. Yes, and, uh, off on sure, Monday, I'm, which is nice. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna I think gonna be welcome. And their last day off like got co opted by like them not getting in from a flight until like three a.m. or something. So it'll be I'm sure that's. Gonna be something that they're gonna be happy to have happen. Just to kind of get get a, get a, get a rest day. You know, I'll, I'll, it's been a tough road trip. I mean, it's just been a tough trip in general. Really tough stretch of games. So I, I think that I'm hopeful that this day off is gonna do wonders for a few guys who definitely need some rest. Yeah, their last day off was was uh, that Wednesday day off, which was super bizarre after Labor Day, and I couldn't figure out why there wasn't baseball happening because it was a Wednesday in September. But yeah, it was the last time they were off, and that was you know almost let's see two weeks ago. So, yeah, it's time for a day off, and that'll be good for the Braves. Quickly looking ahead, um, schedule we talked about doesn't really matter a ton at this point, but the Braves do play their next six at home, Philly and San Fran. Um, Philly is comical, which is fun for Braves fans because they don't, don't like the Phillies. They have not, they have not been the greatest uh, show in the world this season. But three games at home against them, uh, followed by three against San Francisco. Um, the Giants are not very good. So, you know, if you're taking bets, I would bet that it's wrapped up by Saturday, I mean, it could be over on on Wednesday. I mean, that, that's if the Braves the, if the Braves take care of business Tuesday and Wednesday, and the Nationals cooperate, it could be over as early as Wednesday. So, yeah, I think I think next week you're we're, we're going to see the Braves clinch. I, I do think that's going to happen. That and seems you know. incredibly likely, honestly. I mean, if the Braves just win, you know, they have six games this week. Honestly, if you told me right now how many I would project the Braves to win, it's probably like three point eight. So if they would just win four out of six, it's over on their own. And that's what the Nationals is doing, whatever they Winning want. every single game. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think if you – I would certainly bet on the Braves winning three of these six. It's not a given by any means, but against two teams that you're better than and they're both at home, you would, you would assume they get at least three of these. Yeah. I would say that we're pretty safe to assume it's over by Saturday or Sunday. It could be even earlier than that, so – and then, uh, if you need it, by the way, the Braves go to Kansas City for two uh, after that, and the, the Royals are not very well, good. Well, yeah, don't, don't don't mention Kansas City though. That was the last series the Braves lost. I understand, game. but uh, <laughs> listen, they're not very good, so we can talk about that then. Now, a week if, if we're talking a week from now, Eric, even even if, if it's me or you, if it's me and you or me and Scott, if we're discussing this a week a week from now when it's not over yet, I'm gonna I'm gonna be terrified. Just fair warning to everybody: if it's not over yet a week from now. I'm gonna be the ranting, raving guy on the podcast that's just worried about the worst case scenario. So, I'm okay right now. It's too funny. I, I I almost kind of want it to happen. Just to, no, you don't. Just, don't say that out loud. What's wrong with you? Just 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 to see how you'd react, but it wouldn't be good. In it, fact, it, I, I think next week's podcast is going to be hosted by Eric and Scott together. I'm going to bow out of next week's podcast if that happens. No, I'm I, kidding. I did. Um, Scott and I had fun doing that that one time when you were. It will uh, probably happen after. again. It could happen in the playoffs. I mean, we've committed to do a, a show after every game. If I have some reason why I can't do one, it's going to be you and whoever. Probably Scott, because Scott's awake. That's the, that's the one thing about Scott in the playoffs is like we're gonna be recording at like one thirty in the morning. But Scott, 
three hours, helpful. three hours is helpful. Yeah, ten, be, being 10 p.m. is much different for sure. It very much is. Uh, all right, Eric, any, any final thoughts? I know you, you briefly mentioned Arizona Fall League. I'm assuming we're going to be covering that on the old uh, TalkingTrap.com? We are. Uh, Garrett is – that's kind of Garrett's project each fall. Uh, I chip in and help here and there. But uh, we're going to be doing weekly recaps, and the tentative plan is for that those recaps to happen on the fall league's off days, which generally are going to be Monday and Tuesday. It just kind of depends on the schedule lines up, but that's that's generally going to be the plan. Uh, either today or uh, either tomorrow or Tuesday, we're going to have a AFL preview go up. We've already kind of talked a little bit about what what guys are going to be going to the Arizona Fall League. Uh, the short version, it's not the most exciting group of players that go into the AFL this year, but there are some really interesting guys. Uh, Justin Dean, Trey Trey Harris being the kind of the two that we have our eye the most. But, you know, that's something we are going to be covering, but it's going to be more of a weekly thing. It's not going to be like the daily minor league recaps where I'm already getting DMs from folks saying that they're missing those. Uh, I'm not to the point where I miss them quite yet. Uh, it's kind of nice. <laughs> you, will like, you will in like November. That'll be yeah, when you no, miss no, no, November, November is when I start going, okay, I really need some minor league baseball. But, you know, when you have to get up each day to at the very least make sure that the recap has been written uh, and, you know, and obviously writing them on my end and then making sure everything gets edited and, you know, make sure everything's covered and good to go. You know, it's kind of nice to have a little bit of a break from it, but, you know, it's also nice to have a little bit of minor league baseball to talk about, and Garrett loves doing the AFL stuff, so that's going to be fun. Uh, but beyond that, on the minor league side, that's going to be pretty much it. Um, we're gonna, I still have some interviews that are probably going to be happening. That's going to be more off-season content uh, once we kind of get into, you know, the, the dark winter months where we're just wanting things to talk about. And we're going to be having some interviews with some minor leaguers and, you know, doing things on Road to Atlanta. I uh, have some guests I've kind of been talking to and poking about, you know, doing some kind of recappy roster type stuff. So that's kind of what we have going on. Uh, Road to Atlanta is going to be more of a, like an every other week thing. It's resolved just because, again, we don't really have actually anything to talk about uh, specifically newsworthy. There was but, a pod this week, though, so if you missed it, go yeah. back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Make, sure, make, sure, make sure you go listen to it. We, we, we've gotten the Google podcast thing short of that, I think. Uh, as far as I know, uh, people stopped yelling at me about it. Um, yeah, that yeah. was that was not on us. Google Podcast just decided to mess something up without any prompting from us, uh, and we, th- we think yeah, we, we, don't, fixed, we I don't think so. we even have, we don't have like the access or the ability to no, mess that. No, honestly, up. I mean, for people that don't understand this, I, I just post the podcast to um, like through our soft through uh, Megaphone, which which hosts our podcast, and then it just goes to all of the all the services. So yeah, we have no control over. Like how services handle our podcast they just have the rss feed and they go from there but so they they did something and i think it's fixed now because chris fixed it so just chris yeah, chris is the man yes he is all right eric well uh, again you guys heard it but uh road to atlanta is still happening so please subscribe to that it'll be on this same feed check out our minor league coverage and our major league coverage over at talkingchop.com i occasionally write things very occasionally uh, more you'll see more of eric than me and you just get to hear my voice and Hopefully you guys don't hate me too much by now, but I know you're, I know you're all listening for Scott and, and uh, Eric more than I am, which is fine. I'm just here to direct traffic. Thank you, Eric. As always. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on again. No problem. I, my I, friend. I, 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 I feel like I'm, I'm slowly catching. I mean, I think I'm slowly catching up with Scott and appearances. So I think you're yeah. almost there. Uh, I have to go back and count that at some point in time. Um, you definitely lead the podcast in Ozzy Albee's trade references. So I appreciate that. Um, and look, and you, and you gave me one right there without me having to do it. So I'm pretty well, somebody, uh, some I can't remember who it was. So my apologies. Somebody tweeted at us today um, and actually said something about Scott wanting Ozzy to be traded, which made me laugh hysterically because I think they were talking about me, but I wasn't 100 percent sure. And not, I'm happy to let Scott take the bullet for that, though. I, <laughs> I appreciated it greatly. I think it was just like they they added talking chop and then they added Scott, and I saw it and I was like, well, I'm not jumping. I'm not jumping in here. This is all Scott. Scott wanted Ozzy to be traded. Write that down. 
Uh, now he's going to get some tweets and won't know what the heck we said on this podcast. Uh, exactly. so that's, that's, that's why he has to listen to the podcast. So there you go. All right, Eric. Well, thank you. Uh, everybody else, please subscribe. Please leave five-star feedback if you enjoy the podcast. And we'll see everybody one week from now.